people can jump in as they uh, like. I've got uh, a couple different articles to jump through. Uh, the first one we're going to do is actually a video uh, coming from CNN and the California Institute of Technology. And I thought this was pretty cool. Let me see if I can get my screen shared here. Da, 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 da. I think this is it. If I can blow this up a little bit. <laughs> That's not very extreme. We need drones that can, can really precisely do what you tell it to do. Um, so in this case, we're really precisely trying to follow a path in different wind conditions. do adaptation super fast. We do it like 50 hertz. That means we adapt the model every 20 milliseconds. So this is called the autonomous flying ambulance. And thanks to our neural fly AI-based control method, basically we can send this flying ambulance to um, medevac the uh, injured passengers from the traffic accident. But we can make sure that this drone Autonomous flying ambulance can land any weather conditions because of our neural flight method. How is that any different than like a PID controller tuned to make adjustments every 50 hertz? We can probably develop. Uh, I think they're using deep learning. Make the uh, air ride so more slightly different, more AI. And so on, because it can actually handle these uh, turbulent wind conditions better. And it's from Caltech, so it's cooler. <laughs> <laughs> Our long-term mission is we want to generalize this technique to not only quadrotors, to flying cars, to any area robots, such that they can like accurately, safely, like do complicated tasks. And in, in some cases, that's sort of what our pig controllers are trying to do. If there's an external force that pushes on it, it tries to to write that as fast as possible. Yeah, I think part of it is, though, and uh, would be more so staying in the same position as opposed to just trying to power up to, because, I mean, a normal PID controller, right, will make the adjustments based on the movement, but it's not going to maintain, it, it's going to take a level of AI to kind of maintain the, the quadcopter in the same exact position, right? So uh, similar to, you know, DJI using... Uh, uh, taking an image of the ground uh, to kind of maintain its position or, you know, doing kind of facial tracking. It takes a little bit of AI to accomplish that task. So I think a little bit different. And it's interesting how they're using deep learning to kind of adjust uh, to train the, the software, essentially. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I'm going to jump into a little bit of commentary and more so because Alex brought it up several times uh, is the movie Ambulance. So um, I had an opportunity to watch it the other night. Great movie uh, for anybody who does want to watch it. But why it's so important is that uh, Alex Vanover uh, was one of the pilot or was the FPV pilot and they used uh, a couple different shots. Um, 
fairly early on in the movie. I didn't see, I don't remember seeing a whole lot towards the, uh, the last half of the movie. But uh, my commentary kind of, you know, I wanted to throw it in there is that I didn't feel like, and this is no, this is not a hit on Alex Vanover, but I didn't feel it like wasn't enough. it wasn't enough. And I don't think it yeah, was appropriately used. Okay. Exactly. So, yeah. I, I, I saw the same thing. I've, okay. So I just want to make sure I'm not alone too. here. You're not so, alone. So I felt like, you know, they did the, the drop shots, like um, too many times. Too many times, and the shot where the drone went under the police car, I thought was cool. Um, but, didn't fit in. but yeah, it felt a little contrived, like we were trying to force a shot in. And compared to a movie like Red Notice, um, which I watched a couple months back, I felt like the FPV elements mm-hmm. were a little more um, useful to the story and a lot of the action scenes in there. So um just throwing it out there and it's not uh, again it's not a commentary of, of vanover versus johnny fpv um being the two pilots that did the two movies but um more so as uh the i think the movie industry is still learning how to utilize how to fpv it. yeah and so it's exciting to see that our hobby is getting uh kind of mainstream use in in things like movies um, among you know the other multitude of uses that uh, drones uh, give advantage to throughout different industries, but it's also great when you when you see pilots like Alex Vanover and uh, Paul Narcella and uh, and Johnny FPV Johnny. and I mean these guys are and uh, Jet these guys are just such amazing pilots and mm-hmm. where's their heritage Alex racing mm-hmm. yeah racing mm-hmm. <laughs> no seriously that's all, uh, of, all of these guys you know and wow can they can they chase oh my gosh yeah and they i mean the the shots themselves were great shots um in both movies um but uh i i feel like we just it's still in its infancy within uh the movie industry so do we have a new both since we're all in fpv i'm curious what it's like what someone else who isn't in fpv thought of those shots though because we do know what the extent of it could be versus someone right. out there who doesn't. So I'm curious what they think. Well, okay. So my wife has not, she's flown drones. Um, she has not, she's gone on multitude of ride-alongs with me. Um, but I know for her, the the building drop shots are, are nauseating. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but I, I feel like in, in Red Notice, while somebody who's in FPV um, could pick out the shots, um, it doesn't look much more than complicated cinematography to the average user. So I feel like in in um, Ambulance, the shots were much more apparent. Um, but uh, I know for her, like the the twists at the top of the tower where, you know, where it, it, it kind of went in and then dropped. I know that probably made her uncomfortable. Um, so it, it'd be interesting to see other people's reactions. Absolutely. Um, uh, to those shots. So uh, is this going to be a recurring segment on this show where Josh, uh, critiques FPV hey, in films? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, it is a, it's an applicable part of our hobby. Right. And, 
uh, all the more reason for us to exist for you know to help with regulations and whatnot an excuse uh, for you to watch more movies dude okay have you seen <laughs> the wall behind me like do i really need an excuse <laughs> um one thing that i saw well, who's do you know who the producer is for the movie um, I don't know who the producer was, but it was a Michael Bay film, so he yeah, was the director. I was, uh, I actually saw, um, I think it was on TikTok, and uh, he was talking about what was his name, Johnny FPV. That was, mm -hmm. yeah. He was talking about how the producer and the director they they were kind of asking more of him than you could kind of do with the with FP, with FPV, because um, I don't really think they understood the full effects of it. You know, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, actually, it was Vanover who did Ambulance, Johnny FPV for Red Notice. But yeah, okay. I do agree with that. And I I think that's all the more reason why uh, FPV is still kind of in its infancy in uh, in in cinematography. So mm -hmm. it, at least in, in you know, movie making, um, I think, you know, cinematography in general, we've seen things on on some of our past shows like the the fly through of the Tesla factor gigafactory mm -hmm. um, and a couple other things where, you know, the cinematography was just beautiful. But I think part of it is, is like, and I've seen, I've seen some of the interviews that uh, Alex uh, has done where uh, Michael Bay basically just said, this is what you're going to do. And, and Vanover was like, do I get a practice? And he's like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's because uh, with it. that car jump scene, yeah. he was kind of like, he was kind of like just going to the car. And right. there, there wasn't really, and I believe uh, in the movie there was two cars behind him, behind that mm -hmm. car, and he didn't, he didn't tell him about that. He was just like, "Yeah, jump out of this car." And so when there's that two cars, he's like, "What? You gotta die! Oh. You gotta dodge the second one." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So. so it was definitely interesting and and great uh, on Alex for for doing that. I'm sure it was a great experience for him, mm -hmm. uh, being able to work with you know those actors and that director. Uh, would have blown my mind um but uh yeah i just feel like you know we're still it's still coming of age in in cinematography over uh, in, for mainstream movies over in the youtube chat uh db cooper fpv is saying that potato jet did a behind the scenes on ambulance with michael bay vanny jet and it's worth watching okay yeah i'll have to check that I watched out that. that was pretty good okay cool i'll have to check that out um but yeah, it was definitely incredible. Love seeing it in, in films. Just want to see it uh, utilized to its full capacity, I think. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's my that's my soapbox <laughs> on that. Um, so uh, back to the uh, some of the news articles we've got. Uh, U.S.-based drone company Exo Drones announces a strategic partner with industry titan Hubson. Um, They're an industry titan? Well, you know, I I, I kind of questioned that thought too, but hey, I well, did start. I did start Hubson with a Hudson. is pretty big. Okay. Yeah, I know a lot and of I people started with them, but I haven't heard much of them in a long time. Yeah, I mean, I think I, they just I, stay small. Well, no, they actually do go no. big. Hubsons. Yeah, do they go they make big. some ones with uh, actual 4K gimbals on them as well. Yeah, and so I mean, they're not they're not small. I mean, my first one was small. It was a little 107, right? Um. But uh, it says the consumer and commercial drone market has experienced exponential growth in recent years. With some projections, such as those from Goldman Sachs Research, estimating a market size surpassing $100 billion in the new, near future. Tapping into this demand, startup and consumer drone pioneer Exo Drones achieved early success 
uh, led by an audacious team out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Exo Drones debuted in early 2020, 2020, offering highly affordable GPS camera drones that earned praise from both consumers and critics alike. By 2021, Exo had become the fastest growing drone company in the world, making it a major contender in a multi-billion dollar market. I have never, I've seen Exo Drones on like Amazon, but I've never, I've never I seen have anybody fly one. heard that they are rebranded stuff. I've heard that rebranded, not good stuff. Yeah, that's what I was going to say on the Amazon thing as well. Is I feel like a lot of those HubSan drones, mm-hmm. kind of the, the cheaper ones, are are rebranded. Are there... Cause I, well, I think there's one or two on Amazon that are highly rebranded that aren't like HubSan original ones. Um, and those are those are like the ones that are like really cheap, like the $50 ones, you know, nothing high end. Interesting. Yeah, from no, what I've just... heard, the EXO is not a... It's basically like a knockoff. Interesting. I'll have to look into that. Does this partnership combines ExoDrone's passion for innovation, accessibility, and affordability with Hubson's unrelenting pursuit of quality, innovation, and manufacturing excellence? According to representatives of ExoDrone's, this strategic partnership will leverage Hubson's expertise in the area of drone manufacturing, and as part of this deal, ExoDrone's will become the only licensed entity allowed to sell Hubson drones within North America. Interesting. So, no so more Hubsons on Hub- Amazon. I was looking up Hubson in terms of where they're headquartered, and uh, Shenzhen is uh, their headquarters, and they also have a uh, a U.S. Uh, headquarters. They characterize it as such in uh, California mm-hmm. and a number of other uh, locations around the world. So, huh. chi- Chinese intellectual property, manufacturing in China, other facilities elsewhere. Mm. Yeah, that makes me anxious. Interesting. Well, um, Koho, have you seen the uh, the X7 Ranger? By X7? No, I have not. So it uses okay. I've I, it's so weird. It uses a sensor on like the very top of the drone, and it like moves for ob- obstacle avoidance. Interesting. Which I've you know because there's you know I've seen sensors like on the bottom of the DJI drones, but. A sensor that moves is very interesting. Let's find it. See, I think it's the X7 Ranger. I might be wrong. Oh, oh no, yeah, it is. It's a full yeah. Mavic type. Okay. Yeah. So you see that little thing on the top? That is the sensor that moves. Okay. So is it like a LiDAR sensor? Or what are we talking is about? Is it spin in circles all the time? Or is it like point in a certain direction? Oh, here we go. Huh. This drone shoots a laser. Okay, let's see what this drone shoots a laser does. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh we got fancy music. Mm-hmm. And sound effects. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I don't. That's not the. Don't, that line isn't actually real. I don't think. <laughs> I really love that Unless it is. Today, but weather is so dang cold how in the heck am i ever going to fly this thing out there i'm never going to be able to do that meet dan dan can do it <laughs> well i second thought maybe i can try it <laughs> seriously That's interesting, yeah. So this guy, Alien Drones, must have done a review of it, and then they put it on their website. 
Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. Thanks for stopping. All right. So let's see. Level six wind resistance. <laughs> three hundred and sixty degree obstacle. Yeah, avoid. that's what it was. The three hundred sixty degree. You might, you might have to go onto their like homepage, let's and see. then see. There you go. There's the X Ranger Plus. Go to the shop now, maybe. Not buy now, but shop now. Or learn Let's... more. Oh, yeah. Uh, learn more, maybe. Learn more. Okay. Okay, here we go. So, mm -hmm. 360 degree obstacle avoidance is optional. What's it's optional? got a camera, uh, 25 minute flight time, 20 mile per hour wind resistance, GPS smart mode. Um, okay. So, oh, there you go. <laughs> By, venture safely by snapping on the XO laser obstacle avoid avoider. Uh, enjoy 360 degree collision avoidance so you can focus less on the surroundings and more on the flying. It's a unique solution, I guess. Mm -hmm. But also at the same time, it's how how close does an object have to be to be a, of avoidance? Because if it's you know if it's a laser, I mean theoretically. If it, I mean, if it's a if it's a powerful one, it'll go on for a while. So how far does it have right. to be? Well, it's got to be pointed at the object to see. I it. Probably yeah, that too. So if it moves really quick and it's literally just moving out of I, the way, well then you're I suspect it, it may be one of these uh, VL fifty three L one X sensors where the it senses up to like four meters because the, the it can't be that expensive of a sensor, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's a cheap laser rangefinder and they're just spinning it <laughs> they're using the word I laser mean, to get attention yeah the hard part is well, it's like if it's only one laser right so it's only sampling one point among how, how many different points right versus a lot of like dji and, and other companies are you well let's say dji is using basically sonar right oh dude of oh. obstacle avoidance Sorry. And then you've got, which is sampling a wider, wider field. And then you've got uh, Skydio, who's basically going Tesla's approach and utilizing cameras for obstacle avoidance. So uh, just a thought uh, in, in between. Koho, I want to say one thing. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> um, we're looking at exo drones and we're talking about exo drones. <laughs> and right. uh, my stepmom, who I don't know where she is in the house. She just she just texted me a, a, a screenshot of her Instagram with an Exotech drones ad. I just wanted to say that. I, was, I found that funny. She said she said WTF and I gotta go explain. Somebody's to her phone that is I... listening. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Creepy. Yeah, this is really Instagram. Yeah, because it's oh yeah, because I forget I forget Instagram's meta now. Yeah, exactly. So Interesting, definitely interesting. So, what did what did Bitsbytes have to say there? I was just gonna say it's uh, really interesting seeing all these different uh, different companies are using all these different methods of uh, obstacle avoidance. Mm -hmm. Well, absolutely, and I think part of it is is you know there's uh, different advantages to each type, right? So, like a, a simple lidar like this is great for sampling 360 degrees, whereas sonar is very directional, right? Um, and uh, Skydio's approach is utilizing a multitude of cameras on their, their drone. I mean, I think there's six or eight cameras on a Skydio 2, um, not even counting the, uh, the actual, you know, camera on the front, just obstacle avoidance cameras. So, you know, different advantages, I'm sure, of each. 
Um, Skydio is definitely using more so an AI deep learning, uh, NVIDIA, uh, chip processing, processing kind of, uh, tech. Um, whereas DJI is using, you know, I would assume simple algorithms utilizing, you know, uh, sonar, but, um, one of the good companies to take a look at is Iris automation. They're, uh, uh buddy is the CEO of the company. Uh, he participated in the BV loss, uh, uh, Arc, and uh, their company has uh, they sell uh, detect and avoid uh, technology to enterprise level drone companies, and so they're trying to work with a, a variety of companies and gain uh, uh, airworthiness and FAA uh, approval. And uh, they've gotten some approvals, several approvals recently. But the technology that they're using is is very cool, and it's a, a multitude of technologies, just as uh, you were saying, Josh. You know, so it's a as DJI has done, and this is a you know next step up. And uh, what they're trying to satisfy is uh, well clear uh, requirements of the FAA, which is pretty brutal. You know, two thousand feet. All right, so we've got uh, an XO Seven Ranger for two hundred and sixty nine dollars, definitely mm-hmm. affordable, uh, with a fifty dollar uh, lidar obstacle avoidance um oh hey you get a travel bag with it as well that's cool yeah hey you know so questionable i mean if they're depending on you know i guess the 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 more uh uh market share you do the cheaper you can go with your drone but who knows well also look uh, if you look down at the bottom free delivery via amazon prime right do they deliver it <laughs> so via i drone? guess oh <laughs> did y'all see that walmart's doing that Hey, I actually have an article on that. Oh, cool. (laughs) Coming up. Actually, we'll just skip right over to that, and I'll just move it over in the queue. I will for sure be trying it if it's available in my area. I am in Texas, so I believe believe that's one of the things. And uh, I'm in... I'm in to Texas. And their -hmm. their initial uh, waiver was granted for um, an enormous chunk of uh, Arkansas surrounding their headquarters. And Arizona. I'm going to be trying it, too. (laughs) <laughs> so uh this comes from aviation today uh drone up has announced this week that its delivery operations with walmart will expand to 34 sites by the end of the year the delivery network will include arizona florida texas utah and virginia in addition to arkansas giving access to drone delivery services to 4 million households in the united states Founder and CEO of drone up tom walker described this as the largest rollout of drone delivery services in the united states it's also going to be an opportunity to drive further user adoption by moving into new communities and also being able to leverage the platforms that we'll be using in those hubs to support the local communities through additional drone services. Um, they first launched uh, drone delivery services in Arkansas in November 2021, and they're currently operating out of locations in Farmington and Bentonville and have completed several hundred deliveries so far. Um, wow. Let's see... Uh, there was also something. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Come oh, I was just saying, Dallas, Fort Worth. I'm right there. Oh. there you go. Well, I'm in Phoenix. So, and and Google Google Wing is uh, at a hundred thousand deliveries in the last year in Australia. Mm-hmm. So that's gonna and, be a, uh, an interesting race to watch. Well, and Drone Up is. I don't know if they're competing or more so working side by side because I know that. Uh. uh Zipline is working with Walmart as well um, mm-hmm. on drone delivery. So um, 
Let's see. There was also something funny. I thought maybe it was in another article, but uh, they were talking. So anything up to ten pounds. It was another article, same same topic. Uh, anything up to ten pounds, as long as it'll fit, uh, is capable of being delivered uh, via drone up. And they're most pop, and they feel like it would be uh, utilized mostly for like emergency kind of deliveries um, from point of order to delivery is about a 30 minute time on in their area. Um, so is it 30 and, minutes or less or it's free? Right. So <laughs> uh, they said the most popular item and this come again, comes from another article was hamburger helper. Wow. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to ask if beer constitutes an emergency. <laughs> I'm still, I want to see one of these like actually deliver to a real well, neighborhood like especially a tree covered old neighborhood like how yep what are they going to do when they get I, to a neighborhood and there's just nothing but trees well what i do you recently think went to a grown-up demo <laughs> um it was the weekend after exponential and mm -hmm. it was in virginia they were delivering food from the top of a hill behind a school to in front of the school in well and there were some trees here and there, but um, it seemed to be doing fine. Yeah, I mean, I would guess if you've got a, a decent it, open they drop spot. They it from a rope. But, like, there's neighborhoods around me that are, like, your yard is 100% yeah. covered by trees. Like, there's no place yeah. to drop something. Well, and the, the, how are they doing this, though? Are they, do they, I mean, I... I don't think they, I mean, depending on how far it is, they don't actually have pilots or is it AI or what, what is it? It's just, I would imagine it's going to be autonomous, autonomous. with a, a, a backup um, mm -hmm. in case okay. of issue, like maybe trees uh, where somebody maybe has to take over control. But um, that I, I would, I mean, that's how a lot of these drone deliveries are, are being uh, done. Uh, mm -hmm. autonomously i'm sure that's where they're uh, headed but with the current faa regulations that gets difficult yeah so yeah and it says uh, uh it actually says in the article the current regulations from the uh federal aviation administration limit operations of the drone delivery service to existing within visual line of sight or range of about a mile hmm. walker has observed significant interest from policymakers across the board to allow for operations beyond visual line of sight and enable the industry to scale at some point, regulators have to acknowledge that we're operating safely, not just us, but as an industry, and I would go even further to say as a community. Uh, we're very confident that the regulatory environment is going to enable longer-range operations. Um, so he also says that we expect things to go further faster very quickly, which is part of the reason why we've adopted the approach to the market that we have. We want to stay nimble and be able to make adjustments as technology evolves. Um, so, uh, the one thing I would say is drawn up is, uh, the FAA doesn't move very quickly at all. <laughs> so, uh, good luck with that. And, uh, as soon as it's scaled here, I want to try it and see what happens. We can well, and another thing, my backyard. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm definitely going to try it here. Um, if it's available, but, uh, another thing is what happens when, uh, like for example, a drone crashes because you know, like the general public will go crazy over it, and that's that's the thing with this though is because like you know it's cool and all, and I bet a bunch of people are gonna try it, but like the moment a drone crashes and almost kills someone or almost hurts something, you know, then that's that's when people well, will freak out. 
And I would agree with that. Um, the goal, I guarantee you, for a lot of these companies is to um, do a lot of community outreach in these areas that they are going to be servicing. Um, I would expect there to be a lot of, you know, as this comes rolls out to these areas, I would expect there to be a lot of media coverage of it to kind of get people, you know, kind of desensitized to the, the drone aspect of it. Yeah. Um, and then, but my other mitigate, my other thought is, is, you know, if we're dropping things via rope, what's to stop somebody from pulling the dang thing out of the air? Yeah. Right? So how are they mitigating, you know, security issues like that? So yeah, I'm surprised um, that hasn't happened yeah. already. Like they're dangling some food over someone's driveway and someone out walking their dog and their dog just goes like, nuts and just grabs it. <laughs> I'm sure so, it probably has I a mean, breakaway or something. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it probably mm -hmm. does. But it'd be, I, I'd be interested to get a close up of the tech. So there's also a lot of thought going into the mechanics and the structures of uh, the pickup or delivery drones, and uh, certainly Google Wing. Uh, they have a fuselage made of styrofoam, and so the whole idea is that it breaks apart and does not injure people. And uh, so it's, yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of uh, a lot Amazon of design going into explode. that. Well, you know, I was about to say, if we want to do some crash reconstruction, I mean, let's reach out to Amazon because apparently they're, they're yeah. struggling a little bit over there. So <laughs> We've got some expertise Sorry, in that Jeff. area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that, I mean, that would be... Did you say that uh, Google Wings were made out of styrofoam? Or... That's correct. To find yeah, the fuselages be... foam. Right? That, so that would bang, be really cool to see. Into you. Yeah, it's... It, it's like a pretty uh, some biodegradable, like re recycled things. That would be really cool wow. to see. But, I mean, it would kind of be, I mean, it'd be on the far side of, you know, reachability. But you know, using recycled, you know, items, it'd, it'd be pretty cool to see that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because every time I hear, I think about, uh, you know, drones made of styrofoam breaking up to to kind of prevent damage. I remember those uh those styrofoam gliders. That, from when I was a kid, that you'd put yep. the wings you, into the side and you'd whip yep, it, you'd throw it, fall apart every time. <laughs> yep, you have to put the wings back on. And, yeah, or, or it, um, you would you would throw it and it would come back at you, and you'd be scared of it because <laughs> yeah. that thing would be coming at you. <sighs> uh, good times. So anyway, uh, uh, in addition to its partnership with Walmart, DroneUp also announced a major acquisition last year. DroneUp officially acquired AirMap and its UAS traffic management uh, service in December. Uh, it says AirMap's platform works well for last-mile delivery services, benefiting DroneUp as they increase operations to serve over 4 million this year. So, uh, interesting. Hopefully they uh, you know, do good with AirMap. Uh, I know AirMap has struggled a little bit over the past couple of years so oh i have a point what's uh how's it gonna be with the radio because you know it like for me you know i i do ham radio and mm -hmm. these drones what what's gonna prevent them from you know going next to like say a, a, a radio tower or a, you know someone's personal home uh, ham radio repeater or antenna and you know messing it up uh, to be honest i don't well, most drones idea. today are in the in the 5.4 uh, gigahertz um, uh, range and that's what they're normally operating in and what the uh, a, a quick section to look at is do a search on section 374 of the 2018 reauthorization act and you'll see that um 
Congress has mandated the FAA, the FCC, and the NTIA to allocate um, private spectrum so that we have uh, spectrum allocated to UAS for commercial purposes. So you're mm-hmm. you're on a on a key thought, mm-hmm. and it's um, uh, it's not a not a big problem right now. But mm-hmm. uh, well, yeah, because I know. Think, um, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, think. Um, you know, uh, 5G and uh, you know, nav, nav frequencies where the FCC mm. sold, you know, auctioned off frequencies from navigation to uh, to support 5G. Oops. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because I know there's a, there's a, uh, what's it called? Yeah, I have to think of it now. Um, the, the reason that this sparked is there's a house kind of nearby me that mm-hmm. has this massive uh, ham radio antenna. I don't, I don't know the person, yeah, but I put, you know, see like pushing it. over like a thousand watts or something. Yeah, I mean that thing, that thing could go around the world like several yeah. times, and that's that's kind of what was in the in the thought of it, you know. Yeah, well, so. certainly um, antennas like that uh, can uh, disrupt, you know, be, and splatter over, you know, just about anything in the area, and. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, to heck with what frequency it's on if you're if you're pushing on you know, and of course we're limited we are limited to about one not about we in the u.s are limited to one watt so you know you look at these massive ham uh, arrays and they're uh, kicking out 1500 watts <laughs> a lot you just have to go outside and oil the uh the power meter as it's uh, spinning around so fast <laughs> All right, so this is an article from SUAS News, and I just realized that this was back in January, and it just popped up on my search. Uh, I've searched the same terms multiple times <laughs> over the last months, and this just showed up. But I think the uh, the message here is still uh, key just a couple of months later. So um, let's see. They go. They start off by saying, in July 2019, FPV was turned on its head when completely out of blue, DJI released the digital FPV system based on their OcuSync P1 technology. The system brought 720p FPV with its variable latency as low as 28 uh, milliseconds in a simple-to-use off-the-shelf packages, uh, package. Out of the box, it wowed users with its clear image and simple setup. Um, this stunned the FPV market and Fetshark, the market leader in FPV goggles at the time, was left scrambling and quickly released, uh, reacted by releasing ByteFrost, a digital system based on DivaMath technology. While this system did not quite stand up to DJI's offering, it was the birth of what we have today known as HD0. Originally sold as SharkBite under the FatShark brand, H, uh, under the FatShark brand, HD0 is a uh, 720p fixed near time, near real-time latency digital FPV system that's ideal for racing. While the system had a slow start under the SharkBite brand in 2021, uh, has been a year of massive improvement and expansion for the HD0 system, with DivaMath taking the lead on marketing and development. There have been lots of improvements with the system, now comprising of five VTXs and new cameras from RunCam and Foxeer. There's also promise of a new high-power VTX and three new receiver models modules in 2022. So obviously that that's aged a little bit, but... Um, yeah, their one watt uh, VTX is uh, out shipped yep. and uh, got one. It's good product, and they uh, re- just uh, this week announced a uh, four point v- four port VRX for events, racing events, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, it automatically switches um, uh, from analog, analog to digital. Pretty clever, yep. and then pushes we've out a signal. Our, we've to got HDMI. our hands on plenty of those. 
for IO. Oh yeah, we, yeah, we knew. We multi GP. We've been we knew about that. For, yeah, because he's been working on it for a while, trying to get it out before a couple of events, but mm -hmm. now it's finally out for IO. So um, they go on to say, uh, "What is stark is the change in the development of both systems." And this is the part where I can I can agree with. On the early days, DJI had a clear lead in adoption with its very good performance, continued support, new features like 50 uh, uh, megabits per second mode, and increased range. Today, on the other hand, things could not be different. The system has seen no new features in over a year. Annoying issues and firmware bugs remain unfixed, and important new features such as canvas mode discussed by DJI's partners are nowhere to be seen. While the system has had new cameras released by third parties like Caddx and Runcam, the overall system seems to have fallen into DJI's usual later stages of its product life cycles, which we have seen time and time again where they slowly fade before being made end of life or replaced altogether. On the other hand, uh, things at Divimath and HD0 could not be different. In 2021, the system won the multi-GP with Evan Turner. They're embracing and communicating with the FPV community through social media, and the development is in full swing. Um, today, HD0 is growing from strength to strength and building a loyal customer base that not only wants to support the company, but also feels they are buying into a product that has a future. And I think this is part of, you know, I think why HD0 is kind of, you know, winning uh, a lot of community supporters is they are reaching out to the community. They are asking what features they want to see. They're asking for advice on, you know, uh, layout on their goggles and, and, and whatnot. And they're, they're just really uh, diving into full support, full community support. And I think that's where the difference between uh, DJI and, HD zero really is. And, um, even to include maybe fat shark to a point, you know, there's been a lot of community feedback over the years that I've been in the hobby that just kind of just gets swept under the rug a lot of times. So, um, and I will say I haven't had a chance to, you know, look at, see, or, or try the, the new goggle from fat shark. Um, I'm sure very few people have, but um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, the goggle wars kind of play out, right? And the, and the video system wars kind of play out. And um, I don't see DJI sustaining long term within the actual kind of elite FPV community. Uh, but, you know, who knows what, who knows what I know? I mean, so... Uh, it'll be interesting seeing what comes out of Fat Shark, what comes out of HD Zero, um, and I mean, even to include Orca mm -hmm. and um, some of the others, and and uh, you know, yeah, there was I think some... more competition is good. Yeah, there was a really interesting um, uh, art, uh, YouTube um, article by uh, Chris Rosser with uh, Jason Jason Trustman. Not Janus, not Jason, uh, Jonas, and um, it's he's part of a, a group um, FPV WTF, and they're reverse engineering um, D, uh, DJI code, which that's a whole nother topic. But they <laughs> described how the uh, P1 chip is effectively a series of uh, um, atom uh, that is ARM 
uh, processors, and uh, it's uh, also uh, they use a, an FPGA, a floating point gate array. And so these are largely off-the-shelf technologies swept together in a larger piece of silicon to create an ASIC. That's a, a very different approach from what uh, uh, Carl Zoe has uh, or Zhao has done with uh, uh, HD0 and Divimap. So I'm I'm pretty enthused and excited to to watch what's going to happen because with our goggles that's you know that's the magic is the you know the compression and moving the uh, the data stream down you know from our aircraft to the goggles with uh, consistent and low latency is uh, pretty magical. It gives you a feeling that uh, is just fantastic and and uh, I think HD zero has has uh, gotten really close to achieving that. So and. Should be, I agree with you, uh, Josh? Should be really interesting to see what uh, DJI does, and you know, while you know they are a multi-billion-dollar company, it's very interesting that they chose a route to not do a lot of innovation, but rather to pick up off-the-shelf processors and off-the-shelf FPGAs to uh, create the uh, their uh, their video stream. Mm -hmm. I mean, and what I will say is that you know when it and I have, you know, a, a DJI, you know, FPV setup over here. But um, when DJI FPV, oh, we lost Dave. Uh, <laughs> DJI first came out, um, I mean, it was groundbreaking, right? Before that, we had, what was the name of the other uh, digital system? Connect? Uh, uh, yeah, Connect. That's Connect? right. Okay, so... And DJI had their OcuSync for too. Right. And they, but that wasn't, I mean, it wasn't their snail really a... system. Oh. Now we lost Josh. What is <laughs> going on? I think it Who's was next? Discord. I didn't, I, I did nothing to Josh. It wasn't me. I didn't take Josh out. <laughs> what is going on? Am I back? Yep. I'm there you go. Yep. I'm glad someone okay. else has, uh, has these issues. Yeah, we don't oh, have your screen share anymore, but that's right. Okay, let me pull that up. <laughs> All right, so anyway, I was saying that... Uh, oh, that's the wrong thing. Nobody wants to see a... Okay, here we go. All right, Discord. Thank you. Thank you, Discord, for ruining my stream. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say that, you know, it was groundbreaking when DJI first came out. It was multitudes better than uh, the Connect system. Um, and really gave almost maybe, you know, a stepping platform for everybody else to kind of roll into, roll into the game, uh, to see what was possible. Uh, so DJI, thanks for that. And, uh, hopefully we'll see some, some greater returns on the other side of that. So anywho, uh, I thought this was really cool. Drone data, uh, provides early identification of Southern corn, Southern rust and corn. Uh, and my whole screen shared. Okay, so I'm an upstate New Yorker. You know, we we don't have uh, large uh, corn farms. Uh, oh, we have a murder. Does anyone know what a uh, ru southern rust in corn is? It's a fungus, actually. Uh, so uh, what happens is is the the um now I don't think this affects a whole lot of Arizona. So Arizona. Uh, we do a lot of farm agriculture out here. So uh, a lot of it's going to be cotton, uh, carrots, and corn. Um, 
as well as uh, a lot of the flower. We grow a ton of flowers out here, roses. And, but anyway, uh, southern rust doesn't really affect Arizona as much, but it does affect uh, places like Texas, um, where in times of heavy rain, uh, the fungus can start to build up on the leaves, um, and they start kind of at the bottom of the plant, and they kind of start going up, and it kills the leaves. Um, and kind of uh, harms the yield of corn. So, you know, quick backstory. I got most of that from reading the article. But um, at any rate, um, the cool part is is uh, using drones, um, southern rust produces orange powdery leaf spots. Severe infection results in leaf death and premature plant senescence, which is basically ruins the yield. Um Spores of this pathogen will be blown uh, into the southern U.S. from tropical areas of North America and in wetter years can become a problem here in Texas. We found some visual markers scored by drones that allowed us, allowed us to predict this disease before it could be seen from the eye. So the, the whole point of... I like the ads. Excellent. Oh, God, help me. Click <laughs> <laughs> uh, the why this ad. Because you looked on a page with XO drones. Um, so <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> um, so the, the important point on, on this is being able to identify the, uh, change in the leaves on the lower leaves early enough allows them to basically use a fungicide to attack the, the, the Southern rust. What are they using? What is, what's on the drone to be able to spot this? Is it just a video and, and normal, um, Spectrum, visual spectrum, or are they using uh, IR? So it yeah. says uh, the study used, used UAS field-based high-throughput phenotyping to collect high-resolution aerial imagery of elite corn hybrids planted in 2020 and 2021 growing seasons with 13 UAS flights obtained from 2020 and 17 from 2021. Uh, the team was able to extract vegetation indicators such as color appearances from UAS images throughout growth that were useful as predictors for southern rust scored in the field. Um, so it's not saying specifically, but I would imagine a sounds lot like, of IR. Sounds like video. Yeah. And, and video. Yeah, so, this is a great lesson to, you know, when people say, oh, I want to I want to do something with drones for a living. What should I do? My, my frequent answer is, well, what do you do now? And what do you know about? And what are you really good at? And if you happen to be really knowledgeable about agriculture, maybe you should be doing agriculture inspections. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So uh, last but not least, uh, we have this. See if we got any. Did we... See, the weird thing is, is that pulled up an Exodrone ad? This, this web page has been loaded for like you know, two hours. Hold <laughs> up that ad after the fact. All right, so off on that. Uh, so bird-sized drones give Australian soldiers the edge. Uh, the chief chief executive of the company that recently won a two two and three quarter million dollar contract uh, to supply a, a bird-sized drone to the ADF, uh, it'd be Australian Defence Force, says he believes the devices are a vital tool to give troops on the ground, the edge, when a soldier is patrolling through the bush or jungle or the outback or the desert or wherever it might be, they can put them in a backpack and it gives them great flexibility 
to get situational awareness and operational understanding of what's in their immediate environment so they can throw out the drone. Uh, Canberra-based uh, public company XTEC was selected in March to provide the Department of Defense with its WASP, a small unmanned aerial system drone platform. Uh, the company delivers its ballistics armor and its small drones to defense and is an exclusive seller of the WASP platforms, which are owned by United States company Aero... Aero... Environment. Okay, that's a mouthful. Um, the OAS is offer, offering is designed to keep an eye on this in the sky on its opponents and will operate more discreetly than any other spy technology. Um, according to Bastion, the WASP was chosen due to its long-standing proven capabilities. WASP, in particular, has been around for a number of years prior and is well-proven platform, and it delivers all of the capabilities, including being all environment. The overall contract between ADF and XTEC was pinned a few years ago. And that only until recently there's been a ramp up of other locally made capable drones. So pretty cool. Um, it's uh, definitely something we've seen, uh, but cool that uh, uh, they're able to get that. So I think that's it. I think these are just the X7 Ranger. Oh, here's the XO drones. Maybe if I close that, I'll stop. <laughs> all right. So that's all I have this evening. So uh came came for the news and got some colorful commentary on ambulance and uh, um, cinematography. Uh, Alex, you got anything for us, bud? Next week is I.O. up in Muncie, Indiana. Starting yes. Wednesday, it's going to be a week of fun. All right. So if you're going to I.O., go see So explain for people who don't know, what is I.O. and why would you say it's a week of fun? <laughs> because it's the the biggest FPV event. Like I think there's eight tracks for racing and then freestyle is one of them. And so you can fly all kinds of tracks with obstacles you don't usually get to fly against okay. some of the best pilots in the world or other new pilots just like there are other new pilots. So So do they have a range of pilots like a judged there. uh freestyle event where they give you I guess judges rate um, your flight, or I'm not sure who's running the freestyle track, but I know last year they had a freestyle competition, uh, and then all the races. Um, there's a rookie race, uh, intermediate race, and then the World Cup race. This year we have Min Chan going to IO this nice. year, nice. so he'll be there. And then there's going to be a team race. So I think 16 teams competing. That's cool. Are you competing, cool. Alex? Um, I'll probably fly the Intermediate and World Cup track, but I'm not sure how much flying I will be doing. You're I'm mostly going to be helping volunteering and stuff like that. Nice. But I'll definitely fly some stuff. Good times. All right, so we've got IO next week. We've got uh, Flight Fest coming up at the end of this month that uh, Dave and I are going to be at. Um, so that'll be a, a good time 20, as well. 23, 23 through 26 June. Yep. So In Malvern, Ohio. Yep, so that'll be a lot of fun. Don't uh, forget Drone Safety Awareness Day. Yeah. Yeah, we've gone oh, from uh, good, good Drone call. Safety... Drone safety month, the drone safety week, the drone safety day. So June 18, maybe drones right? aren't that dangerous. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, I there mean, you go. 
obviously we're not dedicating a ton of time to it so i mean must be not that and speaking of speaking of that the perfect segue about the drone safety team aviation safety reporting system oh yes <laughs> so, so 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 let's let's, let's start with a quick explanation so I don't know, maybe about a year ago, we, we talked about the ARS system, right? Um, and this is a system that is uh, created by NASA and has been in use for um, uh, full-size uh, aircraft uh, pilots to report any kind of issues they may have had anonymously. And I think the and... idea is if you get enough anonymous reports, they can say, oh, this model of aircraft generally has this same sort of a problem. Maybe we'll let the manufacturer know they can look into it and fix it. Right. So they about a year ago, they rolled this out for UAS, right? So the form is approximately half hour to 45 minutes to actually fill out um, and includes a lot of uh, information that may or may not be necessary. And in general, is just a hindrance to fill out. So with knowing that kind of backstory and, and, and understand that if you fill something out, it's supposed to be completely anonymous. Um, the, the information goes to NASA. They kind of tear through the data, ignore, like pull out any kind of personal identifying information and then submit the report to the FAA. Um, so Dave, it being out for a year, how many, how many, um, actual uh fill outs of the form complete complete forms have we received or have they received 209 okay and how many of those are recreational seven <laughs> <laughs> there's only been seven drone accidents in the past year oh, <laughs> these, are ac- these are not accidents not drone reports only, in- only incidents incidents okay. incident. right so that represents uh 0.0002%. And in general aviation, there are 1,320 a month uh, reports of incidents a, a month, and that equates to approximately 0.88 or almost 1% per, 1% of the population. So, of course, you don't want to get 100% population because that that would say that, you know, everyone's having incidents and everyone's reporting. So, if you, you know, so there's somewhere uh, <clears throat> a golden uh, number in there somewhere, but you know, if uh, if there's a relationship that it, this is working with general aviation, one percent might be a good number. And of course, the ASRS for <clears throat> general aviation was very valuable, and uh, mm-hmm. we were losing lives, so yes. uh, critically important. So now we are faced with uh, drones, which still have uh, zero uh, fatalities from electric uh, multicopters, and so uh, we're working. Uh, with the drone safety team, and I'm leading the uh, ad hoc committee on uh, recommendations for the ASRS for UAS. And, and, and so that's one of the things we're working on. The other is that there is a, we're likely to request an extension for the AC, uh, Advanced Aviation, uh, Advanced AAAC. Advisory Committee. Advisory Committee. Thank you, Alex. Um, uh, tasking group 13 which has to do with AAM advanced air mobility and uh, that's uh, the FAA wrote a framework asked us to comment on it uh, my team got uh, comments in on time 
couple uh, uh, other folks felt they needed more time, so we're we'll be likely requesting an extension. So that'll be a uh, that should come up on uh, thirty June is the next AC meeting, and it looks to be an not a an in person event for uh, for visitors. It is a in person only for uh, AC members. So I'll be uh, tuning in from uh, uh, probably from Pennsylvania via YouTube. Pennsylvania. And that, what are you going to be doing in Pennsylvania? Working on uh, on cars with my son. <laughs> All right. So last thing I want to hit before we close out on time uh, here is um, we got some questions on our Facebook yesterday from uh, one of our our Facebook. Facebook group members, uh, Jessica Dronehart, um, and she was asking for some very smart questions. Um, uh, September uh, is coming up, um, and for for those of you who don't know what September, the significance of September is, is it's the point in time at which remote ID, standard remote ID for any drone uh, sold uh, for use in the United States, drone, UAS system, I should say, uh, sold for use in the United States uh, will be required to have standard uh, remote ID. And standard remote ID is basically the drone comes built with remote ID included in the system. Um, it's a two-part system, uh, part in the drone and part in the transmitter, um, and broadcasts uh, both the position of the drone and the position of the operator um as well as some other information speed altitude uh uh of the drone um location all that kind of good stuff so um so for anybody who is selling a complete uas system and by complete uas system i'm talking things like uh a dji mavic um uh or a skydio or um, a, a unique or a hubson um <laughs> will be required to have remote ID. Now, um, currently, uh, as far as I know, there are no remote ID systems that have been submitted and approved by the FAA. Correct. Um, and this is a problem because we're looking at almost, if, if this doesn't get solved, we're looking at a complete uh, almost UAS wall uh, come September. So... My hope is, is that a lot of these companies are looking at this, um, are working out their their issues and i'm sure they are um but there are some smaller companies who have questions um about what this means for them so um i you know second to that um uas users uh that being all of us the fpt community uh um people who have older systems that kind of stuff um can be grandfathered in come next September. Uh, we have a, another year and a half-ish uh, before we're required to put uh, remote ID as users on our drones. Um, and that could come in the form of flying a standard remote ID drone, or that could come in the form of a broadcast module. Um, and again, uh, as far as I know, no broadcast modules have been submitted nor approved to the FAA. Um, so, uh, again, we're, we're kind of at the same place. So now the difference for some of the smaller companies out there, 
if you're providing that complete UAS system, you're, you're due in September. Um, that that's your that's that's your due date. Uh, that's your deadline. Um, so something needs to be figured out from there. And I I I say this because as somebody who appreciates both building drones and getting you know ready to fly versions as well, uh, this is going to be important to keep the flow of uh, drones going to consumers um, to be able to, to to sell your product. Now, on the flip side, if you're if you're supplying kits, um, things like uh, uh, almost ready to fly, something you buy off GetFPV or flight test or something where you have to build it, there's a little bit of a different story there. Um, as long as you are leaving out uh, at least a major component that the end user needs to install, um, you you pass, it sounds weird, but you pass that buck to the end user, uh, come up for uh, when it comes time for them to, to utilize because you're selling basically an amateur build kit. Um, and a major missing component is not like a battery or propellers. It's gonna be something that basically makes your, your drone a brick until it's installed. So. That would be a control receiver, a flight controller, a motor. Uh, uh, I think that's kind of pushing the boundary a little bit, but I would I would say you know something a motor part of the aircraft. Uh, again, pushing that boundary a little bit. I think but that's harder to get than the motor. The easiest thing is going to be um, that that receiver, right? Or that. Yeah, that receiver, because everybody, you know, a lot of people fly different uh, controls. You know, some people fly Spectrum, some people fly FR Sky, uh, some people fly DJI, some people fly, you know, whatever else. So I wonder um, what the FAA would say to something like selling a bind and fly. The drone is all ready, but it doesn't come with the radio. So on its own, it can't fly until you combine it with a radio. I think you still. I. I mean, my. I would err on the side of caution. I mean, we can. We can definitely reach out and ask that question. But is it, I would. Is err it the on UA the, or the UAS? Because if it's the UAS, then the radio would count. I think it's the if UA. It's the UA. Well, then radio and that's where it. I would kind of err on the side of caution. Is that you're leaving that major component off the UA, the unmanned aircraft itself. Um. So, uh, just want to kind of, you know, relay some of that information and some of the stuff that I, I talked to her about, um, as well as, um, she asked some questions, uh, about Frias and when are those going to be approved and, and kind of the process on that. And, uh, again, uh, FAA has, has not granted, uh, anybody the path to become a CBO. That could so, happen next week. It could happen never. Exactly. So, and the problem is, is that FRIAs can only be requested by CBOs and educational institutions. That is literally it. And so if you're part of a school, you can probably try and start to request a FRIA. But again, we don't know exactly how to go about that yet. So... And the the uh, FAA doesn't know how we would go about that yet either. So you can't no, just exactly. call them up and ask and say, oh, how do you go about this? Because they can't tell you. Exactly. So everything's kind of at a standstill. So come September. Uh, it will be very interesting. will be very interesting. And come September next year is going to be even more interesting. So 
Uh, I just kind of wanted to have a, a real talk moment for anybody who sees, uh, who's listening, uh, anybody who's going to see the video, uh, post us posting it up on YouTube. Um, we've got some issues coming up and, uh, a lot of them are going to be pinned at the feet of, uh, the FAA primarily. And, uh, and at, at the feet of companies who are trying to, to figure all this out. Yeah, at the same at the same time, there's a significant amount of organizational churn in the uh, uh, FAA UAS integration office. Absolutely, they've just added, they've just added a new um, deputy administrator, Abby Smith. Is it? Uh, they have a new um, FAA administrator above the UAS office, but uh, lots of changes in the UAS integration office. Which means, <clears throat> more importantly, that people are going to need to be spooled up, exactly. and um that creates a a time sink and uh as as those people and granted you know they need to they need to be spooled up but as those people come into role um that creates a a gap in which things are going to get accomplished um and in an or in an organization that's already uh struggles to to stay ahead of the curve um and i i don't mean that in any offense faa i just you know it's slow and um that uh we're gonna see uh kind of we're gonna hit that brick wall faster than you think and i don't want to see that uh and i i don't want companies to be stuck um but it's gonna create a revenue crisis amongst those companies if you cannot figure out standard remote id in time and i'm sure the giants in the field your skydios your djis um have got it, you know, scaled, you know, figured out. Well, they still um, need it approved. But they have to get it approved, and we've not and heard nor seen anything. Right. Now, the ASTM uh, standardization uh, body is working on uh, a means of compliance. But again... It's, it's submitted, but the MOC is not approved yet. To, exactly. So, so uh, we're, we're stuck there, too. So, right. uh, and basically what that means uh, is that the ASTM created the means of compliance for other organizations to be able to use that means of compliance to produce either a standard remote ID or a broadcast module. And uh, so it's basically, they're doing the, the, the hard part for you, and then you just need to produce to match the means of compliance specifically. Um, but without that, that, that standardization, without that document, uh, everybody's still in, you know, who is relying on that is still stuck. So again, brick wall. So uh, it's going to be a trying time. Uh, and uh, on top of all of that, uh, we've got the um, Reauthorization Act uh, of, uh, it's going to be 2023. 2023, probably already in progress, probably being spooled up if it's not. Um, and uh, so that's going to be the community's opportunity to advocate for change. Um, if there's something you don't like, I, I highly encourage you to reach out to your congressman. Um, and if you've got uh, a congressperson who is specifically on um, the uh, aviation subcommittees, uh, definitely reach out to them. So uh, we'll be doing some work. Um, and I know that uh, um, some of our partners are going to be doing some work as well. Um, but uh, it's going to be an important project um, to advocate for, for some things. So um, I kind of want to end it on that note um, just because it's, it's an important note. And I, I, 
I don't want the community to be caught unawares again because uh, we were last time um, and it was a bad deal. And it wasn't until Remote ID that we were able to get the community engaged um, in in uh, at being being that change that we're advocating for. So uh, just tossing that out there, it is drop dead serious for our hobby, for our community, for our industry, um, for everything re revolving around UAS and, and drones and, and whatnot. And that's to include model airplanes. So if you're you're an old guy like Dave, who uh, wants to fly those fixed wings. We need your help. Uh, it's it's vitally important. Um, so uh, to the companies out there, uh, if you need to talk, reach out to us. We're happy to have those conversations. Uh, you know, if if you need to uh, uh, kind of you know hypothesize or theorize or or you know figure out what part of the rules pertain to your 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 business let us know um we're happy to to talk so um but with that i i don't have anything else dave you got anything nothing else great uh great summary uh alex dan all right well with that i will uh give you guys back the rest of your evening sorry for going 10 minutes over uh two rants tonight so hey there you go you got your money's worth so uh but with that have a great night guys Oh, I don't. I don't yeah, I'm think to that it's. Well, and here's the thing is, is I would say that the rules aren't impossible to follow. Uh, I just think uh, I don't think people are taking it serious um, to a certain extent. Um, and I also don't know what the FAA is going to do if they're going to, you know, if, if I mean, what happens? What what will the FAA do if? nothing exists by the time the deadline comes i mean that's a that's a valid question right so they might do the same thing that they did when they said you couldn't call uh air traffic control towers for approval and you had to go through lance or drone zone well and the problem with or that is is that they they basically squash the ability to fly in controlled airspace for mm -hmm. about a month or two right so i think it was long it's longer than that in some it was longer than that yeah and so i mean i don't know i don't know if they'll push back their deadline or not i don't know and if they can with remote id they in the faa's defense they would they could say well we had this finalized in january of 2021 and we gave two years of lead time to uh, you know, for industry to comply. And, of course, you know, we'd look at the ADSB, which took 10 years. But uh, I, so it's a, it's a great question. And mm -hmm. um, I think it's uh, you know, our view has been that any unreasonable regulation will be met with large scale uh, noncompliance. Yes. So uh, we will uh, you know, people will you know, you know, if if uh, if uh, Skydio and DJI and um, Parrot and you know other large manufacturers, uh, Hubson, uh, <laughs> don't have um, uh, standard remote ID shipping in September, uh, that that could get tricky for them because as a, a larger enterprise, you know, you don't want to, uh, you know. You know skirt uh regulations yeah, smaller we'll have to see. are they going to start getting fined if they are shipping those products 
it's it's all civil so that would be the that would be the mechanism yeah take them to court and then then civil fines uh but you know for smaller firms who are doing uh bnfs you know i you know, i i i'd be amazed if uh, uh and and disappointed if the faa went after small companies it's going to be an interesting time um i don't i i definitely hope that we have it figured out um i just not i'm not seeing a lot of evidence that we are and um so it's concerning to me um and i'm sure it's concerning to uh some of these companies as well so um it's gonna be gonna be interesting to watch <laughs> and uh you know luckily users the end users that's us uh get a little bit of extra time uh to be compliant but uh i just i don't know and there's always the what if right so you know we do know that uh tyler and rdq have, have filed lawsuit um specifically over remote id so what happens if that plays out and i mean that could i mean it could or could not nullify remote id so um who knows uh i hope people aren't counting on that um but uh it'll definitely be interesting to see couldn't companies just send the flight controller receiver separately and just design it so that it can be easily plugged in by the end user to make a complete quad i don't know um that's the even harder part dave your thought on that um no because the uh, a standard remote id has to have additional uh production and manufacturing uh, uh aspects to the uh, means of compliance and uh, declaration of compliance and so it approaches uh, airworthiness um of a, of an aircraft so you you need some uh, documentation pedigree proof of product production so, you know, being able to trace um components things of that nature well isn't legendary so, saying that this would make it a home built basically an amateur built home built is yeah home built is absolutely we you know we're uh i don't i don't know that we would consider a controller versus and that's why the ua versus uas i'm pretty sure that josh was correct and that the remote id has to apply to the um unmanned aircraft and so it has to uh, it has to be something that's a component of the aircraft, not uh, a a controller or transmitter. You know, it, it's interesting. I'm not. I, the hard part is, is if you're creating an ecosystem, like uh, you're selling a DJI drone with DJI controller, um, and I use that because they're the easiest, you know, easiest to to kind of compare to. But if you're selling that complete ecosystem and just leaving out a flight controller to be easily plugged in. I don't know that that works. Um, but if you're producing something out of hobby grade parts, uh, like an RTF or something like that, like, you know, again, something coming from like get FPV and, and, you know, leaving the receiver separate, uh, for the person to pick out, then I think that's a little more beneficial because, I mean, are a little more viable, I think, is the the word I'm looking for, because I have to, you know, buy one that's compatible with my, you know, radio up there um, that works specifically for me with the, you know, the features I need, that kind of thing. So I don't know. I don't know if that's. I think the only way know, to find out is people are going to have to test it, it and uh, yeah. see who gets slapped on the wrist and who doesn't. 
right. right. Get some and, warning. And, and Led Legendary Sideburns brings in a good point, similar to how 80% of the firearms skirt the rigs. And so we looked into that, and uh, the FAA in 2019 had some proposed uh, rules and regs that had a percentage content, and happily they mm. tossed that out, and that yes. was in the remote ID uh, yep. from the NPRM to the final rule. They got rid yeah. of that, so thank mm -hmm. goodness for that. So it'll be interesting to see if you know how how these companies are going to navigate this new new field um, coming up close and. Uh, I don't know. It'll, it'll just definitely be interesting. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> Won't be so boring. anyway, with that, uh, we'll see you guys in two weeks. I'm just checking the calendar here. Yep. And then uh, the week after that. Uh, so is it next week, IO? Yep. Next week's IO. So if you're headed to IO, go check out, go see Alex. Um, I'll bring stickers. <laughs> Go see him for some FPVFC stickers and bug him about remote ID. Um, <laughs> and uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna make it out to Flight Fest, uh, uh, Dave and I will be out there, and you we'll also them. have stickers. And you can bug us. And I think we're gonna give a couple presentations anyway, so we're happy to talk about remote ID. Um, uh, glad we could answer some questions for you, uh, Legendary. And uh, hopefully that's helpful for some of the other. Uh, companies and people and users and all of the things in between uh that uh they can kind of utilize that going forward and again reach out to us if uh you need some help or want to talk uh, we're here so good night everybody see you in two weeks